Well, welcome again, friends, to our time together. Welcome those of you watching online live with us right now in this moment. Uh, we're glad you're here. Those, those child dedications are precious. Uh, all of us as pastors who just get to stand with families and, and dedicate their boys and girls to the Lord, it's just a joy. Uh, and, and it's really a, a, a parent dedication, too, that these parents will raise those children to know the Lord, love the Lord, seek the Lord. And so parents have a lot of hopes for their children. We have great hopes for the children. And at the top of that list as Christian parents, our hope is that our boys and girls will know Jesus and love Jesus and faithfully follow Jesus Christ with all their hearts all the days of their life. Now, I want you to think about this. In the context is how we've been talking about this this year so far. Another way of thinking about the high hope of parents for the children is that we desire our children would be risk takers for Jesus. And all of a sudden, as parents, they go like, whoa, 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 I don't, know. I don't know if I want that. Like, what if my kid wants to be a missionary? What if my kid wants to step out and do some bold, courageous things because they love Jesus? And sometimes that tension exists because as parents, we want their safety and welfare, but we realize no one holds our children like the hands of Christ himself. And so really what we're asking is that our children became risk takers for the Lord. And years ago, one 14-year-old girl from CVC did just that. Uh, she was raised in a home to know Christ. And she started feeling the tug in her heart to do more for the Lord, to take bigger risks for God, to, to put herself out there a little bit more for the Lord's work. And so her prayers and exploration led her to sign up for a short-term mission trip. Um, and this was a big risk for her. She'd never left home. She was afraid to leave her parents. She was going alone. She wasn't going with the church team. She's like, I'm just going, and I'm meeting up with 26, 27 other people I've never met, and I'm going to just see what the Lord has for me. And the Lord uh, had something for her, and she had no idea what that trip would trigger and so uh, she went on this trip to El Salvador, and she served in a children's home for a season and uh, just, just really enjoyed that, and God touched her heart. Next thing you know, this girl started going back every year to serve in El Salvador uh, to, to, to minister to kids who were abused uh, in, in hopeless situations, and God um, was drawing her heart toward these kids in Latin America. And God had given her a vision, and the vision was basically to start another children's home to provide shelter and safety and support in the name of Jesus to children who were abandoned and abused and neglected. And so in 2003, she took the risk of founding and launching Love and Hope's Children's Home with just three children. Today, there are over 20 children currently in Love and Hope, and over its time, it's served over 35 children. But that kind of risk doesn't come without a price, without testing. So over the years, this young woman had to persevere through adversity. Some of it was internal. You know, she went over there feeling like, I've got this, right? I'm strong, I'm whole, I'm healthy, I'm stable, and I'm going to come in and bring this stability to these kids. But of course, once you're over there, all of a sudden those inadequacies and doubts start to come into your life, and those things started playing out in her heart, and those feelings of confidence were traded for, what am I doing? Did I hear God right? I can't handle this. I'm over my head. Even leading to a point where she was on the floor just weeping and crying before God, 28 kids in the next room, and she's like, Lord, I don't even have the energy to get off the floor right now. And so there's moments of adversity that come from internal workings, but God gave her the strength to learn and grow and endure through that season of brokenness. Also, it's going to come with external adversity, things outside of your control. And there's been strong external adversity. You know, the government's changed laws multiple times that have resulted that, uh, in kids in her care having to leave the home and go back into situations of abuse and harm. She's experienced betrayal and abandonment by people that she loved and trusted. She's been robbed on the streets of El Salvador. She's received threatening phone calls. 
There has been no lack of opportunity to persevere, but the risk has been worth it. And we're going to hear from her a little bit later uh, during our time about how God has blessed her risk and her resilience. What about you? What does God have waiting for you? You may be one prayer, one conversation, one act of kindness, one short-term missions trip, one check away from an opportunity to serve God in such a way that you would have never imagined. What is God stirring in you and drawing you into as we've been talking about being a risk taker for the Lord? where we are drawn out of our places of comfort, out of our own thoughts about living for ourselves, to how can God use me to build his kingdom in ways that maybe I've never imagined before. And it's exciting to accomplish something for the Lord. It's exciting to be part of building his kingdom. It's exciting to be a risk taker, to be a, a spiritual, conversational, relational, financial risk taker for Jesus. Like That's exciting, but we can't be naive. Because when you step out and take risks for the Lord... There will be times of testing, and there will be trials and adversity in the face of you trying to be faithful. And sometimes that will be internal adversity, doubts, sinful tendencies, self-condemnation, as well as external adversity in the forms of opposition, persecution, relational rifts, sickness, and just a myriad of other consequences and circumstances that lie waiting to test you and stretch you and refine you and build endurance. But... Nothing worthwhile is accomplished without risk and resilience. I want to say that again. Nothing worthwhile is accomplished without risk and resilience. So what is God calling you to risk? How is God calling you to endure and build resilience? And so we believe it's worth it. It's worth the risk. It's worth enduring difficulties to live for the Lord, to obey Christ, and to impact souls for eternity. You know, there's... Uh, Very few things, if any, we're going to leave behind in this life. So what are we living for that's going to live on beyond us, that's going to make an impact for eternity? What are we living for that was worth Christ dying for? And so we need to think about these things as we move forward. Well, we've been looking at some of the earliest biblical risk takers. If you've been following along in our Bible reading plan, um, you've been seeing some of those risk takers in your readings, and then we're talking about them on Sundays. And we've got one more we're going to talk about. And today's biblical risk taker is someone who knows about taking risks, and he knows about adversity. And we're looking at none other than the man Moses today, this historical figure that uh, many of us are familiar with. Maybe it's because of a movie. Maybe it's because of your Bible reading or whatever. But most of us, if not all of us, know about Moses. Moses was a risk taker for the Lord. Moses also had to endure great difficulties in his life as he was trying to be faithful. So we're going to learn a little bit from Moses in our time today. He's mentioned all over the Bible. And we see his life, of course, played out mostly in the books of Exodus, and Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. But he's mentioned in many of the books of the Bible. And so I want to take us to a place first uh, that we're going to just give a little snapshot of Moses. So open up your Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, Again, there's a lot of different areas. The the story of Moses is great. We don't have the allowance of time uh, to, to get into the full length of his life, but we're just going to do a flyover. And when you look at the life of Moses, there's three observations that you will quickly get from the life of Moses when you look at it. One is you will see risk. Two, you will see resilience. Three, you will see redemption. And so let's look at the risk part. How do we see risk in the life of Moses. Well, if we look at Hebrews 11, verses 23 through 28, here's what we see. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. We'll just stop there. This is what we talked about last week, right? If you weren't here, you can watch online. You can remember. We looked at Jochebed. We looked at Moses' mom. 
She was a woman of faith, and her husband Amram, who was a man of faith, and they took great risks because they knew that to keep Moses in their home was going to lead to his death because Pharaoh had put out an edict that uh, all Hebrew boys were to be thrown into the Nile River. And so she lovingly took a risk of placing him, when he no longer uh, was quiet, into the river herself, trusting the Lord, and God used that. That was an act of faith. That was a risk. Verse 24 of Hebrews 11, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Let's stop there. And we know the story of Moses, that Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile River to bathe and found Moses in the basket and adopted him, right? She gave him back uh, for uh, two, three years to be nursed, and then he was adopted into the home of Pharaoh. He's now a prince of Egypt. Verse 25 says, he was choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seen him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. The last part of those verses we'll get to in a minute, but first we see this risk. Moses had it made. He was adopted into a royal family. Growing up, Moses had every benefit possible given to him as one of Pharaoh's royal heirs. He was a prince of Egypt. And so he had all of the pleasures, all of um, the wealth, all of the comfort that came with being a royalty in the Egyptian palace. And somewhere along the line, and we don't know where, somewhere along the line, he became very aware of his Hebrew ancestry. And so God started to draw him toward his Hebrew ancestry. And of course, all the Hebrews were slaves in Egypt. And he became very aware of the affliction upon the slaves, his people. And at some point in time, he started to identify with the Israelites going, these are my people. And all of a sudden, this tension started to rise up in him going, even though I'm in the palace, even though I've been adopted, and I'm grateful for all that I have, something's drawn me over to these people of affliction and suffering. You know, that's how it starts when you start to take risks for the Lord. Something prompts you. Something gets in you that starts to cause attention in your life. And you're going, even though I've got it good, even though I'm grateful for what I have, something has drawn me away to a place of even discomfort in the name of Christ. And so he started to feel that draw. And it says here that he started to identify himself with God's suffering and afflicted people. And he came to realize, this is an interesting statement, he came to realize that the suffering of Christ was greater. You're like, well, how does that work? Because like Jesus was born later. How did Moses know Christ? How did it all work? So like, he started to associate with the suffering and affliction, just like Jesus Christ came to suffer and be afflicted for the forgiveness of our sins. He started to associate himself with the suffering of God's people to undergo affliction and suffering, to be used to build God's kingdom. And he realized that that would far surpass a faithless, riskless life of comfort self-indulgence, and pleasure. And so he abandoned that. He stepped out, and he understood that. He saw the invisible one. His eyes of faith saw the Lord, and it drew him and gave him strength to leave the comfort and flee from Egypt and be used by the Lord. Now, there's a lot of places in the life of Moses that we see risk. There's a long list of like, man, Moses did that, and that was risky, and Moses did that, and that was risky. But let's just look at a few of the headliners in his life. Leaving Egypt, right? This was a big risk in his life. 
There are many of those moments for Moses, but leaving Egypt was huge. We'll find out why he left in a minute. It wasn't the greatest circumstances, but just leaving definitely was a risk. Uh, when he left Egypt, he found himself in Midian. He spent the first 40 years of his life in Egypt, and then when he left Egypt, he spent the next 40 years of his life in a faraway land called Midian. Now in Midian, he, he met a girl, he fell in love, settled down, got married, had kids, got a new career. And so here we see Moses in Midian. Egypt is in the rearview mirror. He's not thinking about Egypt. He's got his wife, his kids, his new job. He's a shepherd. Things are great. And then, you know, God decided to do this little thing called the burning bush, right? Calling Moses to himself, bringing him to a place of humility and honoring him. And then saying, I've got a mission for you. I've got a task for you. Like as a believer, we have multiple burning bush moments in our life. There's moments when God will get your attention and say, I've got something I want you to do. I've got a change in your life I want you to make. I've got a mission I'm calling you to. Moses had a burning bush moment. And all of a sudden, God yet again says, I want you to leave your comfort zone. Everything that Moses had that was bringing comfort now in Midian, he had to leave to go back to Egypt of all places. I was comfortable in Egypt, and now I'm not, and I'm in Midian. Now I'm comfortable in Midian, and now I'm not. I'm going back to Egypt. It's like the ping pong ball theology, you know? And so he's going back and forth. That was a great risk to leave Midian. What are some other things that we see that were risky in his life? Challenging and defying Pharaoh. God sent him back to Egypt, right? To basically say, let the Hebrews go. Let the Israelites go. Let my people go. He was defying. He was challenging the Pharaoh of Egypt, which is like a god in the eyes of the Egyptians. Of course, that didn't go well initially, and we saw how that started to unfold as the plagues of God came upon the Egyptians, and God was going to make an example of these people and of this leader who would not relent. Also, just leading Israel. What a huge risk. Like God accepted this mission from God to leave basically a people of about 2 million, right? So he's leading about 2 million Hebrew refugees through the wilderness. That's a huge risk for 40 years. And as things started to unfold, he was leading them to a beautiful land, the land of Canaan, the promised land, but it's a land that he himself would not even be able to step foot into in his lifetime. And so what a risk taker that we see in the life of Moses. And so if you study his life, it's a study in risk. So we see risk in the life of Moses, but we also see resilience. We see resilience. Many moments in the life of Moses where he had to endure difficulty and adversity. Some of that adversity was also internal. It was stuff going on in his own heart, his own life that flowed out. Now let's take us to the place, why did he have to leave Egypt in the first place? Well, when you go to Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, we see this event unfold, right? It says, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on the burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. And he looked this way and that. So he's being very intentional here, right? And seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. See, that was the catalyst for leaving Egypt. And here's where we go, just like so many people in Scripture and just like us. Moses got kind of like the right idea, like I want to do something, but he definitely did the wrong thing, right? How many of you have tried to do something with great motives and it backfired, right? This is exactly what's happening in the life of Moses. He's starting to associate with God's people. He wants to be used, but it backfires. We even see in the book of Acts chapter 7, uh, we see this great new believer called Stephen giving this message. 
And Stephen says in this message in Acts 7, 23 through 25, speaking of Moses, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but he did not, they did not understand. You see what just happened? Moses had the right idea but did the wrong thing. And so this was an epic moment of failure, and not the first in the life of Moses. He murdered somebody. I mean, he flat out murdered somebody. And so don't think for a second that that didn't just, you know, leave his heart. Two years later, three years later, he wasn't like, oh, yeah, I forgot I murdered somebody, you know? Like, that had to stay with him. I want you to think about some of the sinful behaviors and choices and attitudes and words that have come from your life. We know them, don't we? There's moments in our life when we're like, ah, oh, I wish I would have said that, wish I would have done that. Man, that was really a bonehead move. Like, we carry those things. You know that Moses had to carry the fact that he murdered a guy. This whole like forgive and forget thing is silly because you can forgive through Christ, but you don't forget. You don't forget what you know, happened in your life or what happened to you or that you, you know, did to someone else. And so you know that there was that internal moment of just guilt that he had to carry around from that moment of failure. He also was struggling internally with insecurity. He had a lot of personal doubt. Maybe it, maybe it stemmed from killing that Egyptian. Whatever it was, when God did call him, and try to um, get him to go back to Egypt, Moses didn't just say, like, sounds like a good idea, right? We see this account in Exodus 3, verses 10 through 14. God says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And it's so interesting. You see the first 40 years of Moses' life, he was full of himself, right? I'm, I'm, I'm Moses, man. I'm, I'm, I have all this royalty and power, and this, this uh, wrong is being done in front of me. I'm going to rescue it in. So he puts on a superhero cape, jumps in, kills the guy, thinking this will, this will be, you know, they'll start to realize that I'm going to save people. Totally backfires. Now we see him 40 years later, right? The guy's 80 years old. He's encountering God. And instead of being full of himself, now he sees himself so little. Who am I? And if you see the conversation unfold through Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 4, what you see is basically Moses starts to kind of debate God with a list of excuses, right? Hey, man, I don't know how to talk, and who am I, and I'm not worthy, and, and really, uh, really irritates God. What is that? There's, he's full of self-doubt. Which, by the way, look what God does to compensate for that. Moses said to God in verse 11 of Exodus 3, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. Isn't that awesome how God continues to tell us he'll be with us? And this shall be a sign for you that I've sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Speaking of Mount Sinai. Then Moses said to God, If I come, the people of Israel say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. In that moment of insecurity, that moment of fear, that moment of inadequacy, what did God do? God gave him some promises and said, I'm going to be with you, and here's who I am. Like knowing God on that personal level gives us the ability, gives us the power to step out and take risks and to start to have resilience in the difficult times. By the way, just a sidebar, you know, we're going to look next week at one more Old Testament biblical risk taker, and then we're going to turn, turn a corner for a season. And we're going to enter into a teaching series called I Am. 
And in the book of John, Jesus makes seven statements where he says, I am, which associates him with being God, by the way. And he says things like, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I'm the way. I'm the truth of the life. And we're going to look at those statements. We're going to look at all seven weeks of these statements of who Christ is leading up to Easter. And on, Easter on, on Easter morning, we're going to look at the time where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Like We all know people that need to hear that good news, right? So we're going to bring our friends. We're going to bring our family. We're going to bring our coworkers here so they can hear about Jesus who is the resurrection and the life. But here's the thing. The whole teaching series is designed to help us get to know Jesus more by how he associates himself. A lot of people have opinions about who Jesus is. What did he have to say for himself? We said, I am this, I am this, I am this. And here's the reality. The more you and I know Jesus, the more we're going to love Jesus. And the more we love Jesus, the more we'll take risk for Jesus. And so we're going to take a season to get to know him. And that's what God did here. He's getting, to know, he's getting Moses to get to know him. And so he's dealing with those internal adversities that's going on in the life of Moses and trying to free him of those things. What internal adversity do you have that God needs to get you out of? You've got a list of reasons why God can't use you. Some of you have legitimately messed up. You you know, there's stuff going on in your marriage, your relationships, you know, there's habits, whatever it is. There's moments in your life where you've messed up big time. And you're thinking, God will never use me, God can't use me, my hands are dirty, and even when you hear messages about being used by God, you talk yourself out of it somehow. Moses murdered somebody, and God used him. I have a a sneaky suspicion that that uh, uh, eclipses anything that you've done, right? So if God can use a murderer to lead his people, then he can use you despite whatever you have done. We have a God who's about new life, who's about forgiveness, who's about redemption, who's about a new season. And so God wants to pull you out of that place where you're feeling that internal adversity and free you so you can be used for him. But we also have external adversity. And Moses has a long list of things that come against him, right? Like we don't have time to to go after that, but if we were just to pick on some of them, I mean, we have the initial rejection of the very people he's trying to help. Like, have you ever tried to help somebody and they reject you for it or they give you a bad time for it? That backfires. Moses comes into Egypt. He approaches Pharaoh. Let my people go. Pharaoh's like, who do you think you are? Tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take all the straw that they need to make clay bricks, and I'm going to remove the straw and still demand them to make the bricks. So now when Moses gets to see his Israelite friends, say, what's up, guys? They're like, yeah, you. You made us a stench. You made a stink to Pharaoh. So it's like, oh man. So now he's got, this, you know, the people he's trying to help are actually not fans of him already, all right? I um, mean, think about all the other things that he had to endure emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, the heartbreak of leaving Egypt the first time the way he did, having to leave Midian the way he did, being without his wife and kids when he was during the Exodus, right? They started on the trip with him. He sent them back. He's without his family. He's trying to do the work of God on his own in that regard. You see here that he has to endure the emotional impact. I mean, don't, don't forget this. God used Moses with the plagues in Egypt, but they had to impact him emotionally. To be the instrument of wrath on God's behalf, I don't think that felt good. I don't think it was was a positive experience for Moses. In fact, when he gave the last plague about the incoming destroyer that would take away the firstborn, he says he left the presence of the Pharaoh angry. It didn't feel good. And he had, to, he had to navigate this adversity in his spirit. And then on top of that, the very people you rescue, they are just a bunch of whining, grumbling, unhappy people. 
so quickly to be doubtful and unfaithful. And, and all the adversity that we see Moses have to endure with that, we know when they, when they left Egypt and came up against the Red Sea, oh, Moses, why'd you have us leave Egypt? You just took us out here to die. Here comes Pharaoh's army, we're dead. God parts the water, just a slight monster miracle, you know? They all walk through, they're all safe. Water comes over, takes out the Egyptians' you know, army. Then they're on the other side, like, oh, God's awesome. And just shortly later, oh, there's no water. Moses, you just left us out here to die. It's like, oh, here we go. Okay, God miraculously provides water. Then it's like, oh, our tummies are hurting. We don't have any food. Moses, you took us out here in the wilderness just to die. They're like... Golly, man. So then God brings manna, brings, you know, supernatural bread from heaven for 40 years, feeds 2 million people for 40 years on supernatural bread that they gather in the mornings. They're like, oh, this is great. Then they're discontent. Bread's getting old. We miss meat. We want meat. Without meat, we're just going to die. What does God do? Sends them in quail, gives them some meat, all this kind of stuff. Like over and over and over again, they're just grumbling and complaining Talk about adversity. You know, I was in Amish country yesterday with my family, just enjoying the beautiful day that we had yesterday, right? Just out there, so we're tripping around, going in and out of shops, munching on kettle corn and stuff, and we go into this one shop, and there's a bunch of signs. I saw this one sign. It still makes me laugh when I think about it. It says, raising kids is like being pecked to death by a chicken. (laughs) (laughs) You... All the parents and the moms especially like, amen, sister? <laughs> Couples who just dedicated your kids, you didn't hear that. <laughs> Enjoy your chicks while they're young. <laughs> I'm thinking, man, for the moments that that's true, think about Moses raising two million kids, unhappy all the time. It's not maybe pecked to death by a giant coop of chickens, you know? Adversity. He had adversity. He had adversity, but... God gave him the ability to endure. When you look at the life of Moses, and you look at those years over and over and over again, all the things that tried to rise up inside of him and all the things that came from the outside of him to take him out, he was resilient. And he wasn't resilient because of his own power. It was God's spirit, it was God's work in his life. As you step out and take risks, as you try to live faithfully for the Lord, People are going to come against you. You're going to come against yourself. You're going to get opposition. You're going to get persecution. You're going to have relational tension. You're going to have things happen. God has given you the spirit of resilience. Over and over and over again, God makes it possible, tells us how we can endure in Christ. And so endure, persevere, be resilient as you step out to see what God wants to do in you and through you. Because it's a lot safer in the comfort zone, but even in the comfort zone, things will come into your life that will take So if we're going to have loss in life, let's have loss for a reason. Let's go on the offensive and try to build God's kingdom. So we look at the life of Moses, you see risk. You see resilience, but you also see redemption. Was it worth it? Was it worth it for Moses to go through all of that? Was it worth it for us when we go through those risks and those times of resilience? The answer is yes, because on the other side of risk, on the other side of resilience is redemption. God used Moses to free an enslaved people. And there were some other amazing things in that moment. For example, in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, God was telling Moses what his purpose was. He said, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts 
of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. You shall know that I'm the Lord, your God, who's brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and I will give it to you for possession, for I am the Lord. God redeemed his people. God rescued his people, and he used a man as an instrument to do it. But it wasn't the only times God's going to do that. And when you look at the life of Moses, you look at this theme of redemption, Basically, you see how God used an instrument, a man who was going to endure suffering and hardship to redeem a people to a better state, right? We talked about this last week. This is where, and Moses didn't see it when he was in it. We don't see any reason to think that Moses understood this in the, in the moment. We get the benefit of looking at it now and going, it's the gospel, right? We see how God took another man who was going to endure affliction and suffering to redeem a people. We talked about that last week. And so we're stuck in our sin. We're stuck in our slavery to sin. We can't free ourselves, And we need someone who's going to rescue us. And that was the purpose of Christ. When Jesus came, died on the cross, rose from the grave, he was the one who came to free us. And so Moses was kind of like an appetizer, a little trailer for what God was going to be doing down the road. And he did it through the people of Israel. And so we see this. Now, we see it especially when, as we see in Hebrews 11, as we talked about in the beginning, with this thing called the Passover, right? In Hebrews eleven twenty-eight, it says, By faith, Moses kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. This is so powerful, the symbolism of the Passover and what God was doing in that very moment. Remember, this has never happened before. So imagine being Moses coming to God's people and saying, Look, one more plague is coming. One more plague is coming. And it's going to take the firstborn of the nation. The firstborn of this land are going to die. God's taking them. And the only hope you have is to follow these instructions. You're going to take a lamb, and you're going to slaughter that lamb. And then you're going to take the blood of that lamb, and you're going to put it over your doorpost. And when that spirit comes, when that destroyer comes, it will pass over the homes that have the blood, and the life of that firstborn will be spared because of the, uh, the blood of the lamb. And it's so hard because sometimes we look at that and we go, oh man, that's gruesome and I don't understand why God did that. But he's, he's giving us this symbol and he's giving us this Passover. And then when we back up and go, that's exactly what he did through Jesus, right? Because here we are, the, the, the spirit is coming. Like when, when death comes, this body, these bodies are going to release our spirit and that spirit will go to one of two places. It's going to go to heaven, the presence of the Lord. It's going to go to hell apart from God. There's no neutral zone. There's no safety zone. There's no purgatory. There's no holding spot. None of that. There's one or two places. And if you don't know the Lord, that soul's not going to heaven. And so here's what happened. He gave us that beautiful picture of the sacrifice of the Savior and his blood by putting our faith in Christ and trusting in Christ is the same as putting the blood over the doorpost of our soul so that we can be saved and preserved. And we live in a world where people are going, eh, it doesn't sound good. I mean, can you imagine being an Israelite during that time and going, ooh, that sounds kind of gross. I'm not going to do it. Instead, I'm just going to lock my door. Or maybe I'm just going to go ahead and hold my kid really tight that night. Or you know what? I heard about this other religion, and they said if I put my kid in water, that won't happen. Or I heard about this other religion saying if I use a special container and say a certain mantra over it, it'll protect my child. So I'm going to put my trust in those things. That would be absolute foolishness. Because when the Spirit came, if there wasn't any blood on that doorpost, the child would have been taken. Guys, we live in a world, that's exactly what people are doing. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and rose from the grave. And it's his blood that we have to trust to cover us. Nothing else covers us. 
No other religion has the blood of the saving Savior. You have to have the blood of Christ. It's the exclusive provision of God to be made right. It's the exclusive provision of God for the forgiveness of sins. It's the only way we're going to heaven. No other thing's going to cut it. Doing good works, saying certain prayers, doing certain mantras, doing certain activities, we can't do it on our own. It's only the blood of the Savior. We see that in the Passover. And we beg with you, we plead with you, if you've never turned your life to Christ, if you've never turned away from your sins and said, you know what, I'm broken, I'm lost, I'm sinful, I know who I am. I know what's underneath the, the image I manage. I need Christ. And just believing in Jesus and believing in who he is and what he did and deciding to follow him, outside of that, there's no hope. If you've never done that, you have to surrender to Christ to be made right with God. You have to surrender to Christ to have your sins forgiven. That's why this building exists, to preach that message. That's why we come as a community every week to sit here for you know, 30, 40 minutes in her message to worship our God and then go back out. We don't come here to check the box and do church. We come here to constantly be reminded of the urgency that there's people out there that don't know and don't believe and to rally up and huddle up and then go out there and just try to make a difference in this world. Why? Because we've been redeemed. Moses was a redeemed man. He was a mess. God picked him up and used him. Any of us here who named the name of Christ, guess what we've realized? We were a mess, and God picked us up, and now he wants to use us. There's redemption. And so what happens is we start to look at our life and go, wait a second, so if I'm a follower of Christ, that means I need to be a person of risk. I, I need to be a person of resilience. I need to be about redemption. Redemption fuels us. And so really the big idea of what we're trying to grab a hold of today is that we're basically resilient risk takers motivated by redemption. We're motivated because we've been redeemed by Christ, because we've placed our faith in Jesus, and we're motivated because there's other people out there that need to be redeemed. It's available. It's possible. They just don't have it yet. And maybe you're, you're here today and you don't have it yet. You can. You don't have to leave here today not knowing Christ, not learning about the beauty of a relationship with Jesus. I hope that you, before you leave today, uh, Enter into a moment where we'll help you understand that. At the end of the service, we have a cove back in that corner. And we'll have friends back there that can help you understand what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. You also have a program in your hands where one of the indications you can make there is that I need to come to Christ. And if you indicate that and turn it in at the end of the service, we want to follow up with you and say, here's what it means to be a follower of Christ. Here's how you get to know Jesus. We would love the honor, the privilege, the joy of having you meet Jesus or talk about Jesus and come to that place of belief and faith. When you look at the life of Moses, you see risk, you see resilience, you see redemption. It's the same for us as believers. If we follow Christ, it means risk, it means resilience, it means redemption. And we honor that. You know, at the beginning of our time, I started a story about a young woman, a young teenager, took a risk, started Love and Hope Children's Home. She's been very resilient. Of course, the question is, how has that been redeemed? How has that been fruitful? And so I want to invite her up to share with us for a little bit. So would you guys welcome Rachel? Klubnik up here with me. Hello again. Hello. You see it. Uh, Rachel Klubnik here, also known as Rachel Sanson, before got married over a year and a half ago to Justin. And uh, I've only had a chance to share just a tiny thumbnail 
of the risk and the you know, resilience that you've had. Uh, there's more there. There's obviously moments you probably wish weren't <laughs> in, in the history of your life, your difficulties, your pain, but we know that our God, as we just talked about, is a redeemer. So why don't you share with us, you know, how has this risk, how has the resilience been worth it? What are a couple redemptive stories that come to mind that you can share with us? Um, well, yeah, I have so many stories of, of pain and suffering and then um, seeing God's redemption. Um, the truth is, I, I would not give up all, that, all those trials, all those difficulties um, in, in exchange for a faithless life. You know, that it is, it is through all those experiences that God has taught me perseverance and taught me resilience and showed me just beautiful stories of redemption. And um, in working in El Salvador, one of the privileges that we have is seeing the stories of redemption in our children. Um, so I wanted to share a couple of stories um, when in 2003, when I founded Love and Hope, uh, we were getting ready to, to start being able to take children in, and we got a, I got a phone call from um, a government orphanage, and they were getting ready to downsize. They were having some financial difficulties, and um, so they said, come, come in, and um, I went, and they basically handed me a stack of about 20 files, and they said, pick a child, pick, pick whatever children you want. Um, and so I started to, you know, go through these, go through file by file, and um, I came across one little girl. Um, she had been moved from children's home to children's home. Um, she was seven years old, and I just saw uh, one photo of her, and it was her kindergarten graduation picture. And um, when I when I saw her little face. I knew that she was going to be part of my life and that she was going to be part of the Love and Hope family. And um, she, she, that day she came home with us. And um, a couple months later, I was talking to Jocelyn, and she told me, you know, I was at this orphanage, and then I went to this children's home, and then I came to this other children's home, and then, and then you brought me home. And to me, that just meant so much because it meant that she felt that love and hope was her family. And uh, she is my family. All the children are my family. And um, I think it's just a great, uh, it's just a, a great picture of God's redemption in, in her life. And uh, another story is um, I, almost 10 years ago now, I, I got a phone call from a woman um, to, and, and she came and, and shared her story with me. Uh, she was pregnant and she just, she opened up her heart to me and I heard her, heart-wrenching story, um, and she said, I would like you to be my child's mommy, and um, I was able to take care of her during her pregnancy, and um, she, on August 10th, she gave birth to a beautiful little boy, and uh, 25 hours later, she walked out of the maternity hospital and handed me uh, David Jeremiah, uh, my son, and one of the greatest gifts that that God has ever given me. And so he is a, a miraculous story of God's redemption as well. Wow, what a beautiful picture of that risk and that resilience being redeemed. So thank you so much for that. And we want to say thank you for being an example, for just stepping out in risk, being resilient, and um, sharing with us just a couple you know, examples of God's redemptive power. And I just want to say thank you to you guys because um, you guys, as you give here at CVC, you're part of these stories and stories like this because a portion of our giving goes to Love and Hope and uh, our, our Advent tree that we do every year, we raised $16,000 at the Advent tree last December for Love and Hope. And uh, you guys are a big part of what God's doing there in El Salvador. And, and we're very grateful for that, for uh, 
playing out in the kind of story. Now, you're going to be out there at the um, foyer. Tell us a little bit more about the opportunity we can to engage you guys. Yeah, we would love to talk to you after the service. Um, we have our board set up. Um, we can talk to you about, you know, about support, about sponsorship, also about opportunities to serve, to come down and serve in El Salvador, to pray for us. Um, but I also just want to take this opportunity um, just to say thank you so much. This week, uh, I had someone uh, say to me, Wow, so you've done this all by yourself? Mm -hmm. And I said, no, 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 no. We have not, I have not done this by myself. It has been with the support of so many people. And, you know, I'm with these kids every day. So, of course, I've grown to love them, and they're my family. But I'm always amazed at people, some people that have never even met them, and just the love and passion that I have seen you all, this church body, have for our children. So thank you so much for all of your support. And yes, we will be out there, and we'd be happy to talk to you more about the ministry. Yeah, we actually, in fact, you guys are hosting a trip. We have a bunch of ladies from CUC going here like in like a week and a half or yes. so. And, yep. and we also have a couple of families in our church that have also adopted from Love and Hope, the Boyles and Kelly Moore that have adopted. And so it's, it's been a ministry of great blessing. Well, we want to pray for you guys before we wrap up, but um, we also have the joy of, of the two people she just mentioned. Jocelyn and Jeremiah are actually here with us. So I'm going to invite her husband, Justin, to come up, bring the kiddos, and let's just pray for them. Why don't you guys welcome them up here as well? Well, I'm going to invite you guys to stand with me as we uh, get ready to close in prayer and worship. I'm going to have you guys stand up here a little, a little closer to the front. We want to pray for you guys and uh, thank God for you. So would you guys join me in prayer? Father, thank you so much. For just who you are. God, thank you for the example of Moses. God, we know that he was far from perfect. He was a flawed man, but Lord, you used him. God, you used the risk that he took to step out and trust you. You used the resilience and endurance you gave him um, for your glory. God, and you brought redemption from it. You brought redemption in his life, for the life of Israel, Lord. You brought redemption in the life of uh, those who placed their faith. And Lord, we see how it points to Jesus. So God, thank you for that. And God, thank you for Rachel and Justin and these kids. God, thank you for Jocelyn and Jeremiah. Thank you that they're just a couple of the many stories of what you've been doing in El Salvador over these last years. God, we pray a blessing for love and hope. God, we ask in one heart and one mind that you would take love and hope and you would continue to let be a lighthouse there in El Salvador, reaching kids, helping kids that need it. God, put your hand upon the club next here, Lord. God, would you give them the safety, Lord? We know more adversity will come <laughs> internally and externally. God, would you keep drawing them back to who you are and the strength and power that you have to hold them and keep them? God, would you continue to multiply the fruit of their labor? So God, take these gifts we're about to receive. Pray for more stories like this that will come from them. And so we ask this in Jesus' name. We all sit together. Amen. 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 Just a reminder, uh, as you guys... Uh, prepare, we're going to worship. If, if, if you need Christ, we'd love to introduce you to Jesus. And so just go to that cove during the song or after the service, and we'll, we'd love to talk to you or fill out that card and let us know, and we'll follow up with you. For those of us who know Christ, we're to be resilient risk takers, motivated by redemption. Amen?